0: There are times in my life, you know, when I feel uh, guilt, when I feel like I've let people down, like I've failed, like I've done the same thing yet again, you know? And it's just a burden, and it's just a discouragement. And to read the words of the passage that we're going to be looking at in the Bible today were just such an encouragement to me because it just reminds me that we have a God of love and of grace and of forgiveness and who cares for us and who, no matter what we've done, uh, no matter how many times we've done it, he forgives us and He loves us, and we don't need to to wallow in our guilt and, and our self pity and, and and that. And you know, I was thinking about that this week, and I realized that most of us, from time to time, find ourselves in that place, that place of guilt, that place of discouragement. Maybe we've hurt somebody we love, we've we've done something that we know we ought not to do, or looking back, we say, you know, I had a great opportunity to do that good, to help that person. And I failed to do it yet again and again and again. And uh, for some of us, it's an occasional kind of a thing, you know, that, that guilty feeling. For others, it actually is an ongoing uh, state of life in which we live, and it leads to depression and despair and it's just uh, just a downward black kind of a spiral and i was reading this week there's a, a psychiatrist named carl menninger a fairly well known psychiatrist and he made the comment uh, that of patients in in, uh, mental health institutions, 75% of them could walk out the door tomorrow if they understood that they were forgiven, if they were released from the guilt that they bear. And I don't know if that statistic is accurate or not. I think it was just more his, his gut feeling. But still, some large number of people walking around and maybe sitting here today are just weighed down with guilt and shame and each of us at times has that in our lives and it's a discouragement to us and sometimes though our guilt is actually healthy sometimes it's a good thing you know you've hurt someone you love you've hurt someone you care about and you feel guilty about it your conscience is bothered and that's a good thing because it wakes us up and it 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 gives us an impetus to apologize, to seek forgiveness, to try to to make right those wrongs that we've committed. And that's a good thing. Or it causes us to uh, perhaps try to change our ways. So sometimes the guilt that we feel can actually be a positive motivation. But sometimes it can be unhealthy. You know, People will use guilt to try to manipulate us, to try to get us to do what they want us to do. A few of you may know I'm actually half Jewish, uh, which uh, means that I'm allowed to tell uh, Jewish jokes without fear of reprisal. Um, So how many Jewish grandmothers does it take to change a light bulb? Anybody know the answer? None. I'll just sit here in the dark. There you go. Now, if my mom ever listens to this message on the internet, mom... Grandma was not like that, you know. She was your mother was not like that at all. That and seriously, she wasn't like that. But it's a good joke. And those of you who are Jewish, we can chat afterwards. We can share them back and forth. We actually do that every once in a while, and we laugh about you goyim out there. If you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Um, But seriously, you know, we sometimes do that in the church too. I mean, don't we? You know, there's this set of rules and regulations, and if you don't follow it. You know, you're not a good member of this church. You're not a good Christian. You're not a good, you know, and so, and we heap that guilt, you know, on each other. And that's not good. That's not what we ought to do. You know, and it's done in the name of Jesus. And that's not right because God is not sitting up there like, you know, some ogre in the sky who's just looking for an opportunity to condemn us and, you know, to, to point at us and say, see, you did it again. Instead, he's sitting up there in the sky as a loving father who says, yeah, I know that you did it again, but I still love you you know and you don't need to wallow in that guilt and in that shame and in that mire in other cases our guilt comes from within ourselves it's not really brought on externally sometimes it's well maybe we've hurt somebody and they've forgiven us but we haven't forgiven ourselves we haven't released ourselves from that burden and, and we just wallow in that and it brings us further and further and further down and God says we don't have to live that way and we're gonna talk about that in a minute and sometimes our guilt comes because we think we've done something so bad that God can't forgive us or God won't forgive us or maybe it's just the same thing over and over and over again and we've finally done it too many times and there is no hope. For forgiveness after that, because we've done it too many times, and God won't forgive us anymore. And God says, That's not true. That's not true. You cannot out sin. The grace of God. You can't do something that is so bad that he won't forgive us. You can't do something so many times that he can't forgive us. God says, no, I am always there. I'm always willing. I'm always able. I'm always eager to forgive. And that's what I want to talk with us about this morning from the same passage that we were actually looking at last week from First John chapter 1. And for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, John is Jesus' best friend when Jesus was on the earth. He was his closest friend. He spent more time with Jesus than probably any other human being during at least his three-and-a-half-year ministry on the earth. And he knew Jesus so much better than anybody else did. And so when John writes to us in this letter about how we can have a close relationship with God, how we can know God, John knows what he's talking about because he was Jesus' best friend. And so wherever you are in your spiritual life, whether you have been a follower of Christ your entire life, maybe you grew up knowing Jesus, you know. Uh, Maybe you have been here at Renaissance Church for just a few months or a couple of years, and in the last, you know, six months or so, you've come to the point where you say, yeah, you know, I've heard this message over and over again, and I really believe it. I really want to be a follower of Jesus. And so you've been a follower of Jesus for maybe a short period of time. Or maybe you're here today for the first time. This is your first time in, in church maybe ever or maybe in a long time, and uh, this is all new to you. You're just kind of checking it out. Wherever you are, the message that we have from, from this passage in the Bible this morning is that you don't have to live in guilt. You don't have to live in shame. You don't have to live in hopelessness, either for a short period of time or for your entire life, because Jesus has come and has paid the penalty for our sins, and God is offering us that forgiveness. So I want us to take a look at this passage and see what, uh, see what John is saying here, starting at verse 5 of 1 John chapter 1. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son purifies us from all sin. Let me just stop there for a second. This is the section that we looked at last week and in case you weren't here, John's point is that If we want to have a close relationship with God, we need to come to him, we need to come to Jesus who is the light, let him shine his light on us, show us who he is, reveal to us who he is and what he's like, reveal to us as well what we're like, show us where we fall short, show us where we don't measure up. And then as we confess that to him, as we agree with him, as we say, you know, you're right, that's... I've done that, and that's not right. He offers us forgiveness. He offers us cleansing. He offers to purify us, to wipe clean that sin that we've, that we've done and to forgive us for it. And that was the message that we were talking about last week. And what I want to do this week is focus more on forgiveness. And so let's, uh, let's continue on with uh, verse 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, and this is the key verse that we're going to be focusing on this week, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, and John starts this next chapter, this next verse, with that phrase, my dear children. He's writing as, he's probably in his 80s or 90s at this point, and he's writing like a loving father to his spiritual children with a heart that just wants them to know what he's writing to them. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And that verse nine is the one that we're gonna focus on. If we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive our sins, and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. John's point is, if we confess, and that, that word confess really means just agree with God. If we agree with God about who we are, about what we've done just say, you're right, God, you're right, I did that and that was wrong. He says, hey, I'm here to forgive you. I'm ready to forgive you. I want to forgive you. And the problem, I think, for us with this idea of forgiveness is that we live in a society that doesn't fully understand what it means to forgive and that doesn't fully understand what it means to be forgiven. And since we're part of that society, it's really part of us, this, this incomplete understanding of forgiveness. For example, one of the ways in which we often think of forgiveness is minimizing minimizing the offense. Say that you have said something to me that's really hurtful and you're actually sorry about that and you feel bad about that. You come to me and you say, Hey, Clay, I said that. It was wrong. Will you forgive me? I apologize. Please forgive me. And my response is, It's okay. Don't worry about it. It's not a big deal. Just forget about it. What am I doing? I'm not actually forgiving you. I'm just minimizing the offense. I'm saying it's not a big deal. It doesn't really matter. The problem is, it probably was a big deal to me. It probably really hurt me. And have I really forgiven you? Have I really released you from that? Have I really moved on when I say that? Or... One year, two years, three years, five years from now, am I gonna bring it up again? You know, if you've had a relationship with someone, think about your relationships with people that you've had for a long period of time. Maybe your spouse, maybe your parents, maybe your kids. What happens when you kind of minimize those offenses? You put them aside for a time, but when the opportunity arises and you need those offenses to be brought up again, you'll bring them up again. You'll say, remember that you did that same thing last week, last month, last year. In fact, you've been doing it ever since I knew you. And, and, you, you know, and the response is, wait a second, I thought you forgave me. And you say, well, yeah, I did, but you keep doing it. You know, did I really forgive you if I keep bringing up those offenses again and again and again? No, and sometimes it's because we just minimize the offense. We don't actually forgive it. We just minimize it. So a better approach is one that might be termed forgive and forget. And I looked this up on the internet this week and found just hundreds and hundreds of websites that talk about forgiving and forgetting and what that means. And... Uh, The way they defined uh, forgiving in this case is not counting the offense against the other person, not holding that offense against them. So you've said something to me that's really hurtful. You come and apologize, and I forgive you. I I pledge that I am not going to hold that offense against you. And over time, my heart changes, and in fact, I really honestly don't hold that offense against you. I no longer, when I, no, when I look at you, I no longer see that offense. I no longer keep bringing up in my mind that offense. I've, I've forgiven you for it. And forgetting is the pledge, not so much that I'm going to press sort of the intellectual delete button and it's going to be gone from my mind, because in fact... Most of the time, we can't actually forget the offense. Maybe over five or 10 or 20 years, you may forget it, usually because there's so many other offenses that have come in between, you know, you, you know where I'm going there, that that one just pales by comparison. You know, we don't actually forget it as in it's removed, it's erased from our memories, but instead, we're choosing not to bring it up again. So when I say that I forgive, I say, I'm not gonna hold that against you. And when I say that I forget, I say, I'm not gonna bring it up again. And when you compare that with this kind of minimizing of the offense idea, that's actually pretty good, this forgive and forget idea. And in fact, that's very much the way uh, in which God forgives us. He chooses not to hold the offense against us, and he doesn't bring it up again. We sometimes bring it up again, that guilt churns up inside of us, and God says, hey, I've forgiven you, and I'm not bringing it up again. You don't need to do it either. And so that's actually pretty good. The problem is that there's a little bit more to God's forgiveness than just simply what we might call forgive and forget. And if we don't understand this last piece of God's forgiveness, then we're really missing something that is so key, something that's essential to our understanding of God's forgiveness, and that I, at least in my own life, have found is really the key to the, to the removal, uh, the final removal of all that guilt and that, that shame. Let me give you an illustration say that my car is in the shop for an oil change or repairs or whatever it is and you because you're my friend lend me your car and you say hey I'd love for you to take my car. I want you to take it to work. Take it for the next week. I know your car's going to be in the shop for a while. And uh, just be careful. You know, you drive a Prius, I mean, you're very gracious to me, but you say this in a very nice way. Clay, you know, you drive a Prius. It's kind of underpowered. This one has a little bit more power, so just be careful that you don't, you know, do anything stupid. And I say, hey, look, I got it. I've driven a whole bunch of different cars, no problem. And my Prius has a lot more power than you think it does, and at least I get a whole lot better gas mileage than you do in that. I actually, don't say that because you're being gracious to me and you're, you know, you're lending me your car. So I go off and I'm an idiot and I wrap your car around a telephone pole. you know, And I come back to you with my arm in a sling and your first thought, though, you would never admit it is, how's my car? But you actually say to me, how's your arm? You know, Are you okay? okay? You, know, you understand how that one works. And so then we finally get around to your car and I say, well, my arm is fine, but... Um, I totaled your car, and uh, I'm really sorry. You were right, the whole thing with the Prius and all that, and will you forgive me? Please, I apologize. I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And you're a nice guy or a nice woman, and you say, yes, I forgive you. I'm not going to hold that against you, and I'm not going to bring that up again. As far as I'm concerned, the matter is closed And we still have that friendship. And I'm just, thank you so much for that, you know, for for that forgiveness, for that grace that you've shown me. I'll see you later and, uh, you know, look forward to seeing you next Sunday in church. And I start to walk away and you say, well, wait a second, wait a second. Um, What about the car? Who's gonna pay for the car? And I say, well, you forgave me, you know, (laughs) right? And you guys get it, right? You forgave me, didn't you? So, what do you mean who's going to pay for the car? And they say, either your insurance or you have to pay for that car. And I say, well, then you really haven't forgiven me, have you? Ooh. And you know what? It's true. Ultimately, if you don't forgive me for the debt of that car... And you haven't really forgiven me. Now, let me just stop here for a second. We are not talking this morning about interpersonal relationships and borrowing other people's cars and the way that you're treating me. That's, that's something that comes later, although that is the ideal. That would be the way that we forgive us. I'm not trying to heap guilt on you for you know if someone's wrecked your car and you made them pay for it or something. It's not where I'm going. What I'm trying to help us all to see, and this is something that's taken me, I don't know how many years to get myself that's the way it is with God, you know? When when if I wreck your car, it's not simply that I have inconvenienced you because now you have to go buy another car or now you have to get your car fixed and you forgive me for the inconvenience that I caused you or you forgive me for the stupidity with which I acted or the arrogance with which I've acted yes you've forgiven me for all those things and it's not just simply that you're not going to bring it up again but if you truly forgive me you've got to bear the cost of that car somebody's got to pay for the car, either me or you. And the same thing is true in our relationship with God. God just doesn't simply say, I'm not holding that against you. I'm not going to bring it up again. He also says, I'm going to bear the cost of that car. I'm going to bear the consequences for what you did. And that's a kind of forgiveness that we rarely experience in our relationships with one another. Ann and I were talking about this last night and saying, you know, there are not a lot of people in our lives. There are some, but there are not a lot who offer us that kind of complete forgiveness who are willing to bear the consequences of our actions and we were just really amazed and we just kind of looked at each other and said what an awesome and wonderful god that we have who will bear the consequences of our sins who when he says he forgives us he means the whole thing including the cost of the car that's the way that god works God bears the consequences. He's paid our debt. Take a look at chapter 2, verse 2. John writes and he says, Jesus is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. He's the atoning sacrifice. We don't usually use those words in sort of our everyday language. He's a, John is essentially saying that Jesus is the payment. Jesus is the payment for what we did wrong. That God himself paid for the wrecked cars of our lives, but he's not talking so much about the physical things we do, but the spiritual things. He has taken the consequences. He has taken the effect of that debt on himself, poured it out on his son that we could be forgiven. So when we think of forgiveness and this is this is really the key. It is absolutely saying I'm not going to hold that against you. It is absolutely saying I'm not going to bring it up again, but it's also God saying and you know what? I'm taking the consequences for what you did on myself and I'm paying that myself. I'm bearing that for you because I love you. And as, we were, as I was thinking about this this week and as Anna and I were talking about it this week, we were just again amazed at the kind of God that we have who would do this for us. And the implications of this are, are, are pretty incredible. First of all, the debt has been paid and we don't have to repay it. And that's pretty amazing when you think about it. We don't have to pay God back. In fact, we can't pay him back. We don't have the resources to pay him back. And he doesn't want us to try to pay him back. Yet we live so often, and I do this myself, You know, if I, if I do the right things, if I do the good things, if I don't do the bad things, God is going to love me more. He's going to be pleased with me more. And that's the least I can do in order to pay him back. And God says, no. No, you don't have to pay me back. You can't earn my love. You can't earn my forgiveness. I give it freely. It's a gift that you don't deserve, that you can't afford, and I'm offering it to you freely. Just enjoy it. You know, think about our relationship with, with our youngest of children. You know, if, you, if you're a parent, when they're a little kid, what can they do for you? Not a whole lot except look up and say, Dad, I love you, or Mama, or you know, whatever it is. It's the same thing in our relationship with God. We forgive our children because we love them. God forgives us because he loves us, and we don't have to pay that back. Secondly, and it really goes right along with that, our relationship with God is restored. There is nothing in between us and God anymore. If we come to him and say, God, I've wronged you Please forgive me. He says, I've forgiven you and I will never bring it up again. And that's not often true in our relationships with one another, but it's always true in our relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do to permanently break that relationship with God. There's nothing that we can do to sever that tie that we have with him. And all we have to do is come to him and ask him for that forgiveness. And he'll grant it to us, and then we can have that close relationship with him, which is what John was writing about. And then third, we're no longer burdened with guilt. We no longer have to wallow in that shame and in that guilt. We do that quite often, but we don't have to. And I think the reason we do it so often is because we don't fully appreciate the kind of forgiveness that he's had for us. And usually, at least in my own life, it's that third piece. It's that piece of he's paid the debt, he's paid for the car, he's taken the consequences for all of what I've done on himself. And when I fully understand that, that's when, at least in my life, I feel that real release of that guilt and that shame for what I've done. And so God is saying, hey, you don't have to live with that guilt anymore. There's nothing you can do that's gonna surprise me. There's nothing you can do that's gonna make me love you any less. I already love you, and I showed it to you when I sent my son who paid for what you've done. We can never out-sin the grace of God and we can never do something that's so bad that God will stop loving us and that's the kind of incredible and awesome God that we have and 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 last night Ann and I were taking a walk and just just talking with each other she was asking me how is the message preparation going and I was telling her about this part of it and she she just kind of looked at me and she said man that just makes me want to worship God what a, what an incredible God that we have and that's really where I want us to to end with here is, you know, where do we go from here? What do we do? How should we respond in light of all this? And the first one is just worship God. Just think what an awesome, incredible God you are. Thank him for the kind of forgiveness and grace that he shows. Think about that, pray about that, talk with other people about it. Ask them, you know, what do you understand about this and you know, how have you been learning this in, in your life? And just, and just praise and worship God for that. Someone came up to me after one of the services and we just talked about that for several minutes about what an incredible God we have and, and the way that he's uh, loved us and shown us this kind of a forgiveness. But secondly, let me encourage you to make regular confession a part, of your, a part of your really of your daily life. Make regular confession before God a part of your daily life. And by confession, I don't mean some sort of a magic formula. You have to recite these exact words in this exact way, and it has to be done in this particular location with either you know, Rich or Clay or some other clergy or something present. No. We can go to God and just simply say to him, and this is what confession is it's just simply agreeing with God about the way in which he sees us, agreeing with him that, yeah, I've let you down. I've fallen short. I've hurt this person. I told that lie. I did this thing. I avoided doing the good that I could have done. You're right, God. I agree with you. And then just ask him for forgiveness. And it's there. It's available. Don't have to jump through any hoops. Don't have to do anything else. Just simply confessing to him and asking him for forgiveness. And when you think about in your relationships with other people, your friends, your family, when you actually do that, You really feel that restoration of the relationship, assuming the forgiveness is granted. And with God, it's always granted. John says he's faithful to forgive us. He's always gonna do that. He's just, it's right for him to do that because the debt has already been paid. So it's not some sort of a legal whitewash. The debt's actually been paid by what Jesus has done. So if we confess our sins, he's faithful, he's just, he'll forgive us, He'll purify us and he'll restore that relationship that we have with him. And so, you know, if 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 I could just say anything to you today, it would be the debt's been paid. You can't outsin the grace and forgiveness of God. Just know that. Come to him and enjoy that and and revel in it because we've got a God who loves us so much that he's willing to take the entire consequences of all that we have done on himself because of his love for us. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you that you're a God of love and of grace and of forgiveness, not a God who's standing up there looking for the opportunity to condemn us, but you're there looking for the opportunity to forgive us and that you have i thank you that you've sent your son jesus uh, to die for us to pay that penalty to take the consequences of our disobedience of our sin of our falling short to take those consequences on himself and i thank you for that and i thank you that uh, we have the opportunity for that restored relationship with you and father i pray for myself and for each of us here that we would keep short accounts with you that we would not let anything stay between us for very long but that we would be willing to come to the light let you show us where we fall short let you uh, tell us where we're not living up to the way that you want us to live i pray that we'd be willing to confess to you to to agree with you that what we've done is wrong and then to come and ask for your forgiveness and i thank you that you're faithful that you're just that you will forgive us that there's nothing that we can do that is, that is beyond the reach of your grace and your love and your forgiveness. And so Father, I pray for myself and for each of us here that we would know that peace, that we would know that freedom, and that we would know that close relationship with you. I thank you in Jesus' name, amen.